This is Issues and Interviews. And now, here's Kieran Michael Lawler on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to Issues and Interviews with Kieran Michael Lawler on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Big show today, big guest, and a lot of VIPs are enjoying Issues and Interviews. I learned this week, we mentioned uh, some of the congressional races in New York that may shape the who controls the Congress in 2024 and beyond. And the former Assembly colleague and current U.S. Congressman Mike Lawler reached out and he wanted to clarify something that he said or clarify a vote that he cast on the Parents' Bill of Rights. So he and I are going to talk later this week and hope to get him on the show and he can he can explain his vote. And I think that'll be really great. I think that's to his credit that he wants to have this conversation. And I was a little bit critical of him last week, but he's a friend and he's a good guy. And it shows what a straight shooter he is and also shows what great taste he has in podcasts that he's listening to issues and interviews. Today, big guest. You know, I grew up in the Cold War. I don't know. Everybody says the height of the Cold War is at a different time. I grew up in the 80s. Cold War was raging. Ronald Reagan called the Soviets an evil empire. The Berlin Wall was up when the 80s started. Of course, it was down when the 80s ended. When the Cold War ended and when the Berlin Wall came down and the Soviet Union fell apart, I thought communism was dead. But it's not. Communism is alive and well. And one of the reasons that communism is alive and well in other countries and in our countries and our universities and many of our institutions are producing an army of Marxists every year, one of the reasons is nobody knows the truth about, for example, the body count and the death toll of our century of communism in the 20th century. So we're going to have an outstanding guest on today, Bob Williams, 32-year U.S. Army veteran, now director of academic programs at the Victim Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. We're going to talk to him about how we can educate our kids on the ills of communism and stop this trend where so many, so many young American people The higher their education goes, the more to the left they go. We're going to have a great conversation with him, hopefully get some tools for fighting back. And remember, we don't use the word liberal on this show anymore because liberals, there's no more liberals. Thomas Jefferson was a liberal. Your modern day Democrats, those in control, they are not liberals. They are leftists. And we're going to talk about how leftists, unlike liberals who love free speech, love the First Amendment, love the free exchange of ideas. Our modern-day leftists cannot stand anyone that disagrees with them, and they resort to, at best, shutting down opposing views, and at worst, assaulting those who express opposing views. And we saw that right here in New York at SUNY Albany last week when they shouted down a Turning Points USA speaker on campus because they didn't like his views on the transgenderism. And across the country at a different state, in a different state, at a different state university, which is to say taxpayer-funded university, University of San Francisco. Riley Gaines, the All-American swimmer from the University of Kentucky, she was giving a speech. Of course, you know she was denied championships because a biological male beat her in a swimming match. A biological male who was a mediocre swimmer in the men's Side, transitioned, I guess, but he still has testosterone and all of the male aspects of masculinity and beat her. And, and she is an advocate for allowing actual women, biological women to compete in women's sports. Imagine that. And she was actually att- attacked physically and was also basically imprisoned for three hours and the police had to go rescue her. So we're going to talk about that. 
and what that means for our country. And I mentioned President Reagan before, and there's two great quotes, and I use them all the time. They're from the 20th century, but they're so applicable. First one is Churchill, who said, and I think I used it last week, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth gets its boots on. Very applicable, very revealing, very true. And the other one is very applicable for what we're going to talk about now, a new Pew Research study. And it's Ron Reagan's quote where he said, the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Well, leftists control the government in just about every major city and in many, many states, roughly half the states and a lot of the bigger states and all the blue states, leftists control the levers of government. They claim they're going to help people. In particular, they claim they're going to help poor people. They're going to help black people. They're going to help other minorities. And one of the ways they were going to do that was to defund the police because the police were the problem. Remember that? After they after they had some problems at the at the ballot box and the, they kind of backed off that. But that was a big mantra back in 2020 after the George Floyd riots around the country. During the George Floyd riots and during the ascendancy of the Black Lives Matter movement, they wanted to defund the police. They wanted to make it so that people in black communities and other communities feared the police, viewed the police as the enemy. They changed criminal justice laws to be more lenient. They helped elect leftist district attorneys who were really not concerned with prosecuting criminals, getting criminals off the streets and protecting the innocent people in all of our communities, but in particular, minority communities, black communities, poor communities. They elected DAs who were more concerned with social justice and advancing the leftist cause and undermining undermining our justice system than, than playing the very crucial role of the prosecutor in that system. And at the same time, you had COVID during the last couple of years, and you had lockdowns, and you kept kids out of school. You kept kids from, A, being educated, B, from those relationships and that structure of school unnecessarily. There was, there was no medical need. We knew that pretty quickly. In some cases, you still have some lockdown-type policies and people advocating lockdown and other things. But they did this. They said, hey, we're from the government. We're smarter than you. We're going to help you. And some statistics out. From Pew Research, okay, this isn't a right-wing research society. This is the Pew Research Institute using Center for Disease Control Studies. And they're looking at the rise in gun deaths of children from 2019 before George Floyd, before the riots, before the defund the police, before a lot of these criminal justice reforms came in, before a lot of these Soros DAs were either elected or empowered versus three years later, 2022. And here's what the government and those who said they were going to work in the best interest of poor people, of minority people, of black people. This is, this is what their policies wrought, and it was entirely predictable. Overall, fatal gun violence rose around the country and among all age groups during the pandemic, with a 23% increase in shooting deaths among Americans recorded during the three years. In the year before the George Floyd protests, 1,732 children in America died from guns. Two years later, that figure was up to 2,590, the report said. That is a huge increase. Boys accounted for 83% of the firearm fatalities in 2021, and 46% of the total victims were black, even though black children constituted only 14% of the U.S. minor population at the time. So I look at New York State, and I look at who controls the state legislature. Democrats control it. Most of the leaders are from New York City, 
there from, or in one case, Yonkers, which is adjacent to New York City, right north of the Bronx. The leader of the assembly is Carl Hasty, a black man. The leader of the Senate is Andrea Stewart Cousins, a black woman, represent minority and largely poor districts. They're the biggest shot callers in the legislature. They push for criminal justice reform. They push for towns. They push for all these policies that are hurting and in, in all too many cases, killing their own constituents. They were from the government. They said they were going to help. And not only did they make things worse, it led to the deaths of children, overwhelmingly black children. More from this study, which is sobering, to say the least. 60% of the young lives lost in 2021 involved homicides, and 32% were suicides, with the remaining deaths falling under the categories of accidents. So it's not, it's not the majority of gun deaths are not suicides among kids. They're, they're homicides. Children being shot with guns. In New York City, 21 kids were fatally shot in 2020. 2021, a significant increase from 11 young victims reported in 2020 and five the year before that. And that's according to NYPD stats. So, of course, there's a lot of factors that led to this, but COVID lockdowns are a big part and undermining the justice system, undermining law enforcement by leftists, which uh, has that had an impact in suburban communities like mine? Yeah, it definitely has had an impact, but the biggest impact is being felt in those urban areas. This was a national study. It talks about Chicago, Philadelphia, and places like that. And actually compared to Chicago and Philadelphia, New York City is doing a little bit better, but still not good. Final statistic, a chart from the poll showing black kids are four more likely to die from guns showed that black children were five times more likely than their white counterparts to die at the hands of a shooter. That should be alarming for everyone, especially those who think and claim that they are representing black constituencies in legislatures in, in Albany and Washington, D.C. and around the country. That should be a red flag. It is not working. It is killing our children. We have to change not only the policies, but the rhetoric surrounding the police, law enforcement, and bad guys who commit crimes after they receive due process need to be prosecuted, need to be sentenced, and need to be taken out of society. That is the that is the solution. They will claim gun control is the way to go, but all of these places, New York City, Philadelphia, Chicago, all of these places where their carnage is piling up have the strictest gun control laws. So I don't know that you could go any stricter. I don't know that restricting my use of a firearm up here in the suburbs 60 miles from the Bronx is going to save the life of a kid in the Bronx. In fact, I know that it's not. So I see the, as we wrap up that subject, I see the issues and interviews hotline lighting up. We are joined on the Issues and Interviews Hotline by Bob Williams, Director of Academic Programs at the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. Bob, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, and thanks for having me. You know, I, uh, you and I exchanged some emails in advance of this, and I explained that I was driving my son home from basketball practice, and I was asking him about school, and I used to be a social studies teacher, so I said, what did you guys do in social studies today? And he said, oh, we talked about communism and how... You know, had some problems because it's never really been run right, but it, it's a good concept because everybody is treated equal. And I almost drove off the road. I waited till I got home and I Googled for information about that. And I found a very recent, at the time, a week or so ago, article from the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. And we set up this interview. So you probably get that a lot, Bob Williams. How do you feel 
communism, the history of communism is taught in American public schools. And, and if we don't like it, what can we do about it? Well, one of the things I, and I think I mentioned in my email was that you could say this, you know, sort of a bad use of the term, but one of the good things of COVID, in my opinion, was how it exposed how the curriculum has drastically changed. And this isn't something that just happened overnight. I mean, this is, you know, have you ever heard of the frog in the boiling pot of water? If you join in and it's like completely hot, you're just going to jump out. But if you just do a little at a time, over time, and what I noticed was once the, you know, my daughter was doing her from her bedroom, right? Because, you know, the restrictions, not all states were the same. I think Florida took a totally different approach. But, you know, we, and I speak of myself here and parents my age, sort of assumed that the curriculum was the same one that we had, you know, three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, civics. And once, you know, the teachers had to pipe that, you know, those lessons plans and those classrooms into the kids, parents saw what was, a lot of them saw, and they were like, wait a second, you know, the alarm, the alarm went up. And yeah, what you can do about it, well, I can tell you what our organization is doing about it. One of the things that we've noticed is a lot of the teachers, you know, five years ago were, you know, young kids in school. So right. they they were never, you know, ignorant is not a bad word. It just means you don't know, or you just wasn't subjected to something, but they were never privy to, you know, the ills of communism. They never read about it. It just sort of skipped over and, you know, classrooms. So we have a couple of programs. We have a seminar each summer where we bring teachers in and we bring academic personnel in to brief them. We bring people from our witness project who are, and that's powerful. When, you know, when you can talk to people who actually came from living under the tyranny of those systems, you know, been there, done that. And I think I mentioned that in my email to you about how I come across a lot of, you know, I call them transplant Americans up here, those who have fled the regimes like, you know, North Korea and Venezuela and Iran, and they're just great Americans, and they've seen what doesn't work. And a lot of them are concerned about, you know, the direction that that the country's headed in. But back to the school piece is, you know, we do, we have an online certification program. We have a curriculum on our website that we're developing. We have our first section that's been rolled out. We're going to have 33 chapters. So our thing is sort of teach the teacher. You know, the Army has, this, Army has a similar program called Train to Trainer. You know, you just don't get to put that round brown on your head as a drill sergeant and walk out there and start barking orders at, you know, recruits. They go to a, they have to be trained to how to, you know, how to do that. So we figure our biggest thing for the buck is, you know, the people who are going to touch most of the kids are, are the teachers. So we're, we're making a real push on educating the teachers, you know, to the ills of communism, because it's just something that they weren't, you know, privy to, the majority of them. Yeah, I understand. And I, I would say we're, you know, we're probably two generations into teachers who were not taught that, and we're taught maybe more benign things even about the communist regimes. So how do we get a teacher to take your program and incorporate it into the classroom? If they don't know what they don't know, how do they get to the point mm-hmm. where they say, you know what, I'm going to take this seminar, or I'm going to read this article? Yeah, a couple of ways. One you can hope is that even though it's not actually, you know, embedded or included in the current curriculum, there are some states that are pushing for that. They're pushing for laws to where I know Idaho, there's an initiative that's being worked where, you know, from grades eight through 11, there will be like a at least one hour focused on communism. And for 
12th graders, it would be like two hours. And we were trying to help them, you know, how should that start? You know, she'd start communism 101 and work her way up to, you know, why it collapsed and the downfall of the wall and those things. And, and the current, you know, 1.5 billion people that are living under communism today, it hasn't gone away. So, you know, just because the wall came down doesn't mean, you know, communism ended. I mean, you got China, you got Laos, you got Vietnam, you got North Korea, you got Cuba. So the point is that the teacher is educated now. So whatever discipline they may be, you know, teaching, there might be portions of that, even though it's not officially in the curriculum, where they could touch on it and like bring it in. Another angle is like uh, substitute teachers, because I think they have sort of free reign. They're, you know, they're able to come in and they have a little more latitude on, you know, things they can cover and teach. So we're, you know, we're trying to use those. But it's it's an uphill struggle. And I will say this. I mean, we got to get out of our safe zone. Like Florida is easy. I mean, you know, right now, but you got to get into those states to where it isn't so easy. Like California might be a little more difficult. And not only public school teachers, but homeschool teachers and private school. So, yeah, other than, you know, a, you know, federal or state, you know, laws that say such and such will be, curriculum change is a, is a big thing. So that's sort of what I have to say about that. Right. So tell me a little bit, Bob Williams, about your time in the Army in some of the uh, former Soviet republics and the transformation you saw in those countries. Yeah, that's a great question because I spent, you know, my first, I spent 32 years in the Army, and you could say it was a, a career basically of two halves, so 16 years. My first four years I was enlisted, and I got out and got a degree and went back in as an officer. So the first 16 years were in combat arms as an infantry officer. Nice. So, you know, one of those, you know, dumb guys that, leads other dumb guys around and pulls, you know, that's the perception that we're always dealing with. Oh, you're a trigger puller. Well, I, you know, the Army's I, much bigger than that. I was an 0311 or 11 Bravo, you guys call it, in the Marine yeah. Corps. So I know, I know all about that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my first 16 years. And then I transitioned once I was a major. I went into a, the Army has a very good program called the Foreign Area Officer Program. And it's a three-part program where you, you, first you learn a language and then you do an in-country training assignment. And then they, send your way to uh, get a master's degree, which they sent me. I go, I want to pick a school that's like got a really good football team. So I, I did mine at Florida State. Plus it was close to nice. close to home. And a lot of guys like, I want to go to Harvard or whatever. I don't know. Florida State's good enough for me. <laughs> so, but in, once I transitioned from being a combat arms, you know, leading men, and I became more of a single entity in, involved in, I had several trips into Russia as an inspector for, you know, on-site inspections for a treaty, CFP treaty, which is Conventional Forces Europe. Spent a lot of time seven in Estonia, three different assignments, seven years. And you're able to see how those, you know, those three little gems, is what I like, how I like to refer to them, countries were just, they're so geographically disadvantaged, you know, where they are, like being under the sphere of influence of Russia. And it was a big thing when those three little countries went into the went into NATO because Russia's like, wow, you're right into our buffer zone there. But you know, they went from and a lot of those buildings are still there because they almost cost more to tear down than you know the, the old Soviet concrete block, you know, twenty four apartments. So you just saw a whole transformation of the city, and you know, like I was saying, it went to you know dull and dark and gray to. All of a sudden, they had, you know, lights. Neon lights are a sign of, you know, process and, you know, success. And the other thing I mentioned to you is that, you know, the 
I was so impressed that Estonia is probably the most wired country on the planet. No matter, like they're so tech savvy, computer wise. It's like the entire country is like a hot zone. You know, they do everything on the internet. So they, and the inventor of Skype was from Estonia. But the funniest story I like to tell about Estonia is like when I was over there, Putin did his big, "Come back to Mother Russia." You know, we we welcome you back with open arms and. There was only like two drunk guys they caught driving back that direction because <laughs> <laughs> because the majority of Russian citizens and a third of Estonia is a third of it's still Russians because you know that was during the Soviet times that was the whole thing was to try to Russify those little countries and just flood them with you know all the streets were had Russian names and they just tried to and a lot of those so a third of Russians are still there so a third of the population. So, and, but they're pretty much centered in like certain spots, like in Estonia, up in Narva, like in the northeast. They're almost in Russia. There's a lot of Russian speakers up there. But to see, you know, just how, you know, now they're in NATO, they're in the European Union, you know, they had the Euro, and things just drastically improved for those. And they are, low, I mean, they're, when they, you know, although they're small, they punch well above their weight because anytime they were in operations like in Afghanistan, a lot of the bigger countries would have caveats on we can't do this, we can't do that. Right. If you could get a non-caveat nation, you know, that's saying something. And they never had caveats. It's like, you know, some countries are like, well, you don't go outside the wire at night. I mean, how are you supposed to prosecute a campaign if, you know, when country X decides it can't go outside the wire at night. It was just, it was a quagmire. I, I felt so bad for, you know, the for the leaders who had to like lead that organization. Because you had all these different countries with different rules and they wanted to spend their money in certain places. It was, definitely wasn't the three musketeers all for one on for all. That, that's a damn shit. Right, right. But those, I didn't know, those small countries were heavily involved relative to their side. That's good to hear. Their size, I should yeah. say. Hey, yeah. as we as we wrap up here, Bob Williams, what's a big thing that surprises people that your organization tells them about communism or that people don't know and your organization tells them and they and the light goes on? Yeah, I think a big one is they, you know, I encourage them to, the big thing is we do sort of a comparative, you know, analysis. And what we show is when we have groups that come through, because we have, you know, high school groups and college groups and Usually they'll come in and they'll get a briefing, we, you know, communism 101, and then they'll go and do a tour of the museum, which I would say if you're ever in Washington, D.C., come see the museum. It just opened last summer, and it's really something to see. It's very impressive. But the one thing that we try to what we do is we throw up, you know, the Bill of Rights. So yep. I call it our 10 versus their 10. So you, on one side, you have the Bill of Rights, you know, and then on the other side, you show, like, sort of the Soviet version of of that and just like, you know, pick which one you think you would like. And one of the questions, one of the questions I always get is, well, Canada, you know, is sort of socialist and they go, yeah, but you know, where the majority of Canadians go for their, you know, medical for serious operations and stuff is they pop across their border and come down to the US. So Yeah, very true. And, very true. Yeah. So, you know, I try to remind them, you know, Che Guevara is not Bob Marley. You know, they, remember when kids were running around the little Che Guevara shirt? Yeah, yeah, I think they still do. Yep. Yeah, because they don't even know who he is. I mean, I mean, the guy was so bad that you know Castro said get rid of him. So a lot of it is just ignorance, and you know, and believe it or not, there is a youth communist league, and I, I saw that. I, are you serious? Up in New York City. So wow. the preponderance of it is it's just based on ignorance, and you know, 
I'm sure our parents worried about us, but I mean, you know, I'm I'm becoming like that guy in that commercial where you know he's becoming like his dad, you know, walking around the grocery store. It's like, yeah, my dad had a couple things right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, we got to leave it right there. Bob Williams, appreciate right. the time. The organization is Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, and they years. have a new museum down in D.C. Right. Right. It'll be 30 years this September when Lee Edwards, he's our founding father, uh, this thing came, came under the Clinton administration and a, a vote of 100 to zero support, which you ain't going to see many of those these days. Yeah. And, you, uh, you'd be lucky to get 51 now. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like Joe Manchin's running the country, but uh, but no, we're we're you know we're excited, and I'm I'm I've only been here since January, but I'm really excited about transitioning from being around military guys to actually working around academics and researchers. It's really exciting stuff. Good stuff. I'm glad you're there. I'm glad the organization exists. You're doing good work, and we're going to help in any way we can. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much, Bob Williams. Have a great day. All right, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Interesting, we mentioned the Bill of Rights in that in that interview there and the First Amendment and within the First Amendment, the right to free speech is the best, most well-known of our rights granted by our creator and enshrined in the Bill of Rights in the U.S. Constitution. And those rights are under assault. And it's kind of ironic because you hear people on the left say, oh, they're banning books. Conservatives are banning books all over the country. And they hate the First Amendment. In reality, there are some books that, that have actual pornography in them that you couldn't put on your social media page without it getting shut down that people don't want in school libraries, kids reading. That's not banning a book. The books are still available. And then and then the same leftists on campuses and elsewhere, they're shouting down and attacking people. And the leadership of some of these universities are either doing nothing about it or in a way validating it. Riley Gaines, the swimmer, speaking out all over the country, going campus to campus, 12-time All-American, champion swimmer, saying that men should not be women in female sports in the NCAA and elsewhere. That's a reasonable position. You can disagree with it. If you think transgender men should should be competing against biological women, then transgender women should be competing against biological women. Make your case. Have Have a conversation. Have a debate. But don't shout down and don't attack. And, you know, you go back into the old days in the 60s and, the you know, the, the old administrators were opposed to the radicals on campus. You know, there's, there's famous scene, Ronald Reagan, governor of California, kind of scolding, kind of scolding people for letting the radicals r- run wild over campus. And they used to take over the dean's office, the radicals in the 60s. Well, for the past 30, 40 years, the radicals run the universities. And a great example of that came this week. When the University of San Francisco, where Riley Gaines, the swimmer, was attacked and forced to basically hunker down in a classroom for three hours till the till the police came and got her out of there, instead of instead of apologizing, they basically backed the protesters. They backed those who physically attacked the speaker that was invited to the campus and didn't apologize in a meaningful way. Way and to her credit, Riley Gaines rejected it. She said, "I'm sorry. Did this just say peaceful?" I was assaulted. I was extorted and held for ransom. The protesters demanded I pay them if I wanted to make it home safely. I missed my flight home because I was barricaded in a classroom. We must have different definitions of peaceful. <laughs> the university administration described what she endured as a peaceful, a peaceful protest, which is something the left loves to do. They love to twist words and distort words. 
And that same speaker, Riley Gaines, is going to speak at State University at Buffalo, New York. And there's already posters condemning her and rallying against her. I'm sure they're going to shut her down the best they can. But she keeps going after it. She keeps trying to get her message out there, fighting for free speech and also fighting for women's rights, actual women, biological women, what in the old days we used to just call women, fighting for their right to have their own set of athletic competitions as they've had and used to be important to the federal government. They had Title IX to ensure that, you know, that colleges put as much money into women's sports as they did men's sports. Used to matter to have women's sports. She's fighting for that. It's a reasonable position. She has a free speech rights. I hope nothing happens on campus. I hope she's allowed to speak. And if you have a better argument than her argument, give your argument. And maybe your argument will win the day. I don't think it will. But that's that's the American way. That's the First Amendment way. That's the free speech way. That's the issues and interviews way. And we have to wrap up this edition of Issues and Interviews. Great show. Be back next time. We'll have a great guest. We'll cover the big issues. Definitely share this podcast on your social media. Tell your friends about it. We need to keep growing this show and growing this show. And you're the ones that are going to do it. You're the first force multiplier uh, for this show. And I appreciate that. Come back next time.